Matthew's Gospel, if you would, let's begin in the 8th verse, reading down through the ninth verse. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're in the midst of a series that I've entitled, Hey God, Do You Have a Minute? I think in the course of our life, we're willing to give time to people that we uh, respect, those that we have relationships with, uh, those that are in authority in our life, uh, those that we place value in. And I, I, I believe sometimes, though, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, we sometimes hesitate about going to him. You know, two guys were at the end of their rope and one looked at the other and he says, you know, I guess we're going to have to pray. And the other one said, has it come to that? And it was the last place they went and really it should be the first place that we go. But somehow, you know, we just feel a little awkward. Maybe we feel a little strange or out of place or we wonder what to say. It's interesting that, you know, amongst our friends and amongst family, how easy the conversation flows. But sometimes when we bring it over into spiritual matters, we just feel like we're like out of place. Like it's just something that we're not very comfortable with, at home with. And I want through the course of this series, to encourage you to be more confident and more at home and more at ease and more at peace in conversing with your Heavenly Father. And we're going to learn this morning that there's some head-tilting moments in life. And that's really what I'm going to be talking about. Hey, God, do you have a minute? And we're going to be talking about head-tilting moments. And both as far as things coming to us that, wow, that really causes us to have the RCA dog moment where we just sort of tilt our head. How many of you have a dog that tilts its head? Our dog does that. And the reason that Max does that, I believe, Charlene, is because he really wants to understand what we're saying. We just don't speak Max language, right? It's foreign language to him, so he's... He's, he's tilting his head. He's, he hears what we're saying, but sometimes he doesn't comprehend what we're asking him to do unless we use words like squirrel, treat, right? Bone, walk, right? Then, bam, boy, somehow, maybe it's the way we say it or the beginning of the phrase or what's tied to Those words is usually something that is favorable and something he enjoys. So he's all ears and he perks up and he responds to us, whether it's us giving him a simple command or uh, us taking him for a walk, whatever it is. But I love how he's trying, right, to connect with us. He's trying to understand. He wants to please us. How many of you are dog lovers? Amen. The great thing about a dog is that you can go out the back door and he'll be sad when you go out the back door and you can sneak up on him by coming in the front door. He runs to the front door as if you were gone a week and you were only gone for two seconds, does three spins, sits down and barks. 
He's just always glad to see us. And when you leave home for three or four or five hours, he's just excited when you get home. They're very observant. They want to please us. And so when we are looking at this text and we're sort of pondering this invitation by Jesus, and we have to, first of all, answer this question. When he said, therefore, do not be like them, who is them? Who be them? Well, all we have to do is go back to verse 5 and let's find out who them are. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, let's look at verse 8 now in light of this context. Therefore, do not be like them. Like who? The heathen and the hypocrites. Don't be like them. And then he makes this outstanding moment. For your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Or we could say it this way. Because of this, because of God's all-knowing or omniscient nature and knowing all needs before we even ask, he still invites us to pray, our Father in heaven. That was a head-tilting moment for me. This is a head-tilting moment for the audience that Jesus is talking to because God was so holy and is so holy in their culture that they wouldn't even speak the name of Yahweh or Yeshua out loud. And now Jesus is introducing God as a father. They, they, that's a new concept. That's a, that's a dog at a new pan moment. That's a head tilting moment for the audience that he's speaking unto. Now, for those of you that have grown up around the things of the Lord, this is not a head tilting moment. This is something that you've become familiar with, a teaching that you have heard Numerous times, but not this audience. This audience that Jesus is addressing is Jews. And they know God as Elohim, as Almighty, as Jehovah, as El Shaddai. They don't know God as Father. And for them, this is borderline blasphemy. This is like, Jesus, you're walking on thin ice. He already had somewhat of a sketchy reputation. This was not endearing him to his audience. But Jesus was not in the business of pleasing people. He was in the business of revealing who the Father was so that the people could be, right, begin to converse with him. Now, the fathers in the Jewish culture were highly respected men. In the culture, they had a lot of responsibility and they carried and conducted themselves in a very honorable way. The Jewish men that were fathers had the term with their children and the terminology 
of Abba or Papa. And that's how the children referred to their biological fathers, was Abba or Papa. And when Jesus is making this statement, he says, I want you not to be like the heathen. I don't want you to be like the hypocrites. You're not talking to a stranger. You're talking to your Abba. You're talking to your Papa. He brings something that's abstract and he brings it over into the realm of concrete. He takes something that is awkward and strange and intense and he brings it over into a relational teaching. And for us, sometimes we're almost a little too familiar with the Father that we're not as reverent as we need to be. I'll talk a little bit more about that later in this series. But sometimes we're just a little too loose, a little too flippid. I heard someone recently say, you know, just pray on the run. And I, I, I think that maybe that's appropriate at certain times, but that's not the teaching of Scripture. Scripture says when you approach your father, find a place where it's just you and him, close everything else out, and begin to pray our father. Which tells me that just like we set up opportunities to converse with our parents or people that we respect or we make appointments to talk to professionals that are caring for us in our lives, we need to show at least that much plus more respect to our Heavenly Father. Now, while He hears us any time, any place, I think there's something very respectful about sort of honing out a space and a place where we converse with Him. Where it's just you and your Father. So that's the head-tilting moment that I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to help you to get an image, right? Use your holy sanctification, get an image of God as your Father, as a good and just and holy and a righteous Father, as a perfect Father. And that's who He is. And then begin that conversation with Him. Begin to have that moment where you're conversing with him. So if we don't want to be like them, who are them? Once again, the hypocrites and the heathen. Who do we want to be like? Well, last week, we read out of Luke's gospel. And in Luke's gospel, in this same account, Jesus said that we should begin to relate to God as we would a friend. And he told a story Remember the story about a friend coming to another friend at midnight because he had someone come to his house and they had need of more provision or more food. So imagine someone comes to your house at a late hour in the evening. Walmart's closed, fairways closed, no grocery stores open, and you don't have enough to show hospitality, which is a big deal to the Lord, hospitality to your friend that's been on a journey and he's hungry and thirsty. Who's the first person that you're going to think of that you're going to go and ask for help? I'm going to think of a friend. Hey, I got a friend. He's got some food. And even though his friend was a little reluctant, the one who was asking his friend had great confidence. No, you're my friend. 
you're my friend, and because you're my friend, you're going to get out of bed. And you're going to get out of bed, and you're going to bring me some bread. And that's what Jesus is saying. When you talk to the Father, don't talk like the heathen and the hypocrites. Talk to him like you talk to a friend. We have great confidence in a friend. You ever have a friend who knows a friend? You ever start a conversation like that? Hey, I know somebody who knows somebody. That's the way you get good tickets into your favorite venue. One of my uh, good friends, pastoral friends, uh, Eric Barnes, and who is pastoring now at the House of Judah in Detroit, Michigan, he has what is known in law enforcement as a gold star. So if I'm with Eric and he's still in law enforcement, he oversees Homeland Security from the D.C. office out of Detroit, so he knows things that are going on that are pretty weighty in our world. But when I'm with Eric, if we go to the Detroit Tigers game and there's no parking, we don't have any trouble. All he does is show the gold badge to the person when we're coming in, and they say, we have parking for you right at the front gate. We go in and we can't get to certain places in a facility. He gets us there. If we want to go see the Detroit Pistons play basketball, we can go in the back door because he has that gold star. He's a friend of mine. I can call Eric and say, hey, can you do me a favor? I need in to this venue, but I'm going to be an hour late. He said, man, I'll meet you at the gate, Doug. I'll get you in. You know, it's inconvenient for him to meet me at the gate. But I'm calling favors from a friend. Not a stranger. I'm not asking anybody on the street just to do that for me. I'm asking a friend. And since he's a friend, he's going to do it. Hypocrites don't have many friends. Either do heathens. Don't don't be like them. Don't be like them. So who else should we converse with the Lord like like a father? So it's in the category of friendship and family. Now, this is breaking down walls of religious tradition, awkwardness, strangeness. What do I say? <laughs> Ask me to pray at Thanksgiving. I know it's three months away, and and but the whole family's going to be there, you know, and everybody's going to be listening to me, and all eyes are in. Talk to the Lord like you talk to a friend. He already knows. Talk to the Lord like you talk to family. We don't have any issues talking with friends and family, so we shouldn't. With our Heavenly Father. I love Jesus' teaching. He said, so when you pray, it's you and your Father, and you're conversing with Him. And you're in a private place, so that you can become more comfortable. And He'll take care of the reward. There's times where we're called to express our faith publicly. We do that much more graciously when we have quality time privately. One of my privileges uh, in going to Bible school was working at, uh, we had an, an outreach, a prayer and healing center on campus of our Bible school. And the president and the founder of the Bible school was teaching there 
uh, twice a day in the morning and then in the afternoon. The morning sessions were exclusively set aside for those with terminal diseases and for their families. And so only the staff and a, and a few students were allowed in to those services. And I was blessed to be able to be in on those services, being part of the prayer and healing center team. And one of the joys of being there was listening, listening to Brother Hagen pray. And when he prayed, it wasn't as if he was talking to a stranger. It wasn't as if he was rehearsing a line or just going through the motions. He was communing and fellowshipping with a friend and a father. He was asking a friend and a father to come, to minister, to heal, to bless, to bring peace to people who were hurting and broken and needed help. He took something that sometimes religion makes it so big and lofty and and hard to understand and Am I saying it right? Am I kneeling? Do I stand? Uh, how do I approach? And I, th- I think posture plays a part. It shows more of a reflection of our heart. But I, I think really sincerity of the spirit is what matters. And it was a, a time of learning for me. So when the disciples asked Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? I understand where they're coming from because after being around Brother Hagen, there were times where we had the opportunity to say, how is it that you came to be where you're at with the Lord? Can you help us? Can you teach us? So when the disciples are saying and asking, Lord, teach us to pray, he answers the question. Remember last week I talked about the tension, the moment, you know, where the white light's on us and we have to pray or we're asked to pray. And sometimes we delegate that. Um, I don't want you to get, I don't want you to be at that place where you're delegating it anymore. I want you to be at the place where you're thankful for the privilege to be able to pray. Uh, I want to take, you know, some of the sacred cows and tip them over. The one that says that God hears everybody's prayers but yours. That's not true. Since he knows all of us by name, he knows all of the ways that we converse. I want to take away that you're not worthy, sacred cow. Leave that to the professionals. I don't even know what that means. We're his people called by his name. I... I'm not quite sure that I understand that there's any separation in the mind of God between those that he's called to be a mouthpiece like me in ministry when we all have a mouth and we all have a ministry. There's no difference. There's there's a difference maybe in function and in calling, but not in redemptive relationship, not in rights and privileges. God has no favorites. You're his favorite. Your picture is on his refrigerator. That's how much he thinks of you. But somehow, somehow, 
we don't feel like we measure up. And I want to just unearth that for a minute. It's primarily because of two things. One is this competitive aspect, you know, in comparison, which is always unhealthy. It's not wise. Scripture says it's not wise to compare ourselves among ourselves. And, and I think the other thing is condemnation. You know, somehow guilt or regret or shame has plays way too much of a factor in how we express our faith through prayer or through worship or through witnessing or through good works. Somehow we just don't feel like we can do it or we should do it. Maybe someone else more noble, more righteous, more qualified can do it, but not us. And that's condemnation. We're condemning ourselves. We're belittling ourselves. And God doesn't do that. Scripture said he's the glory and the lifter of our heads. So if you can remove that comparison and remove that condemnation by beginning to converse with your father as a friend, then you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. Okay. So here's three head-tilting moments that I need to finish this message out with today. All right? Let me set the table for them first. So problem-solving and planning and being determined are good qualities, but they only take us so far in life. Since we are mortal and finite, there comes a day when we need help We need divine intervention because we cannot solve life's problems and we can't plan away temptations or mount up enough determination to keep on going. So when life presents us a head-tilting moment, like when problems loom too large, I want us to be able to take Jeremiah 33.3 and make it our own. And Jeremiah 33.3 says, call upon me and I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. Take the first head-tilting moment that God is your father, you're his son and daughter, you're adopted, you're accepted, you're part of the beloved. And if that's a head-tilting moment to you, linger around those truths long enough to where it begins to take away the comparison and the condemnation that has been keeping you from conversing with your father. Because life has a way, when we're looking for a a fastball, of throwing us a curveball. And when problems loom large, you and I need to have confidence that we can come to our father, that we can converse with him as we would a loyal friend who no matter what we ask him to do, he can do it. That we would call upon him. When problems come, we would call upon the Lord. Call upon me and here's what he'll do. I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. There's no problems with God. There's no problems with God. There's just solutions. He is the God who shows us things that we need to know. Well, who does he show them to? Those that come to him. Those that call upon him. 
So when you have a head tilting moment, you're looking for a fastball. Here comes a curveball and you just seem like you're lost and don't know which way to go. You don't have problems. Listen, this is a great quote by R.W. Schambach. You don't have problems. All you need is faith in God. Because you and God are in this together. And he's the majority partner. He brings most of the equity. He carries the weight. He opens the door. He gives you favor. He gives you wisdom. He is the partner that you need to partner with. He's the one that you and I need to call upon. So in a head-tilting moment, number two, when our plans are not panning out. <laughs> when my when my plans aren't happening the way that I want them to, then what do I need to do? Well, I need to do this. I need to incorporate Proverbs 16.3. And it says, Commit your works unto the Lord, and your thoughts or your plans will be established. So when I'm having problems, I need to call upon the Lord. And when my plans aren't working out, I need to commit my ways, my ways to the Lord. So I, I'm planning, planning, planning. And, and that's what we do as people. There's nothing inherently wrong about planning. But if all your plans don't produce anything, then they're not really good plans. <laughs> but somehow... We believe that if we rehash a bad plan, it'll turn out better the next time. I think the only thing that really comes out better the second time is twice-baked potatoes. Uh, something about that just makes it so much, so much good. But sometimes our plans just fall short, but not his plans. So commit your plans unto the Lord. Say, Lord, this just isn't working real well. It just doesn't seem to get any traction at all. I'm spinning my tires. I'm not going anywhere. But you know what? Instead of me trying to work this plan, how about if I just commit it into you? And if you want it done, then you'll bless it. And if you don't want it done, it'll die. And I'll have a funeral. And I'll say sayonara. And I just want your plans. Sometimes the best thing that we can do with our best laid plans is to let them die bury them, say a blessing, and move on to something else. But I want that. I know. But is that what he wants for you? Is that his will for you? And that's where we have to commit our ways unto the Lord. Commit our ways unto the Lord. I have scratched my head because I thought my plans were brilliant. I don't know why this isn't working. God, you really should help this to work. But it wasn't until I gave it to him and let it do what it needed to do in his hands that I understood. No, that, was, that was really a Doug plan. It's not a very good plan. All right. Head tilting moment number three. In times when determination is not bringing about results. Having a determined attitude is a really healthy thing. Uh, being a self-starter is noble. But we need more than determination. We need divine intervention. There's, there's times where I'm just 
at the end of myself, I have done all that I can do. And no matter how much more oomph or willpower I put behind it, it's not going to get me across the finish line. I'll give you a recent illustration. Um, Charlene and I, and uh, along with the help of some others, have been remodeling our our main bathroom on our upper level. It's it's original from 1975. So I thought if I kept it around long enough, it would just come back in fashion. Charlene didn't think so. And uh, so there's a lot of things that I'm seeing. Like I went to the races last night, another caveat. I saw more mullets, right, than I have seen in a long time. And I just thought to myself, should have kept it. I had an afro at one time. I said I should have kept it. I, I I mean, these things cycle, and I thought, well, after a while, I mean, this 70 vibe is going to rub off on my wife, right? I mean, I don't know if I'm going back to polyester and silk shirts, but I, I'm thinking to myself, this could have a resurrection, and she didn't think so. She, she thinks it needed to have a crucifixion and a remodeling, and so we, we uh, have been doing that. But I have been sort of the early shift and the late shift. So I'm up between 5 and 6 in the morning and, and working about three hours. And then I'm working in the evenings, usually from about 6 to 11 or 12. And by the time I get to about 10 o'clock, no matter how determined I am, I'm done. I can't think anymore. Anything that I try to do, I'm just frustrating myself. I'm making more work than progress. I'm creating more problems. And what I need to do is just go to bed. No matter how hard I try, I can't get anything else done that day. No matter how much more I put after it, I can't get it done. I can't do it. But you know, the next morning at 5 o'clock, I'm fresh. My tank is full. I got some rest. And what looked so hard and so difficult the night before was so easy the next morning. So what did I have to do? This is what I had to do. In those moments when determination wasn't enough, willpower wasn't enough, I had to incorporate Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. And it says, but those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There comes a time where you don't need to work, you need to wait. You don't need to be more determined, you need to rest and get refueled. And this is what I've discovered is that I have some head-tilting moments, first of all, of how God views me and how he asks me to relate to him. That's like, what? Like a friend? Like a fa- Really? That's a little foreign to me. And I want to remind you that the language of faith is foreign to the mind and to the flesh. It doesn't understand it. But this is what Jesus' answer was to the disciples when they said, would you teach us how to pray? And the only reason they asked that question is because there was something that they knew they needed that only Jesus could provide. He had something they wanted, and Jesus gave it to them. He gave them the keys to the kingdom. He gave them the truth about who the Father was. That he's not just Jehovah or Elohim or Yahweh. That that he's a father who cares about his family. That he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That he's faithful even when we're not faithful. Head tilt moment. 
then here comes life. I got a problem. I'm looking for a fastball. I get a curveball. I, I get a health report I'm not expecting. I get a financial hit that, that is unexpected. I show up at a job and I'm let go or laid off. I, I'm looking for a fastball that day, but I got a curveball. What do I do? I call upon the Lord. And he shows me great and mighty things that I know not. I take my first head-tilting moment of who my father is and how I need to converse with him, and I interject my faith, and I call upon him. And what happens in those moments when suddenly our plans aren't working out? I stop working my plan, and I commit it into his hands. After all, it's his will, not my will. It's his plan, not my plan. So I give it to him. If he keeps it alive, great. If he lets it die, great. But at least the burden's off of me. I partner with the strongest partner I have, and that's God Almighty. And then when determination doesn't get you across the finish line, wait upon the Lord. He'll renew your strength. To finish my illustration with our home project, I buttoned it all up Saturday morning. Yesterday morning, put all the paint away. Charlene came and inspected everything, made sure that all the coverage was good and clean. We put it all away. I tried to do it Friday night, guys. I'll be honest. And I couldn't. I just couldn't. And and so many times over the last three weeks, I tried and I tried and I tried to extend And this is my thought. I've done this a thousand times. Man, I should be able to do this. What is wrong with me? What was wrong with me is God didn't call me to be perfect and a performer. God called me sometimes just to relax and rely on him and rest. I was going to I was so determined I was going to get it done. I was so determined. And that got me nothing but tired, weary, frustrated. Extra work. When you work with paint, isn't it interesting that no matter where you put the paint bucket, you end up walking, kicking it, stepping on it. I'm like, it's five feet away from me. I'm never going to be over there. Next thing I'm over there and I'm like, and I look behind me and there's footprints. How'd the paint get? I'm not even, I need to go to bed. I need to go to bed. And for some of you, I mean, you've been trying to, You've been so determined, been working so hard, but you just need to rest and let God carry you and sustain you and help you. Wait upon the Lord and he'll renew your strength. So I learned a lesson. I'm going to bed. I'm giving it to the Lord. And the next morning I had renewed strength. Give us this day, right? Our daily bread, day by day. Matthew Henry made this great statement, the Bible is a letter that God has sent to us. Prayer is a letter we send back to him. We need to have correspondence with our father. Then Charles Spurgeon said, I look down to the Bible and God speaks to me. And then I look up in prayer and speak to the Lord. And in this way, we keep a holy talk with each other going continually. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.
perish because of their sin, but have everlasting life because of God's gift of salvation. I encourage you, if you're on that path of perishing, receive the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus today. I'm going to lead us all in a confession of faith. And this is amazing news and something that you need to be aware of is that maybe you wonder if God would hear your prayer. Not only does he hear it, he responds to it. And he rejoices that you've trusted in him. So let's make this confession If you haven't accepted Christ, today is the day of salvation. If he's pulling on your heart, you feel that gentle knock at the door. Open it up right now by faith. Say this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We believe he's your only begotten son. That you sent into the world to save us from our sin. Today... I acknowledge and freely confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. Come take your rightful place in my life. Make all things new. Thank you for the gift of salvation and eternal life. Amen.